All right, so this morning we're talking about the Great Commission. It is our final in Jesus post or final story in Jesus post resurrection appearances. It is the end of Matthew, which is much, much shorter. And so we've been jumping around the Gospels, reading all of these different experiences the disciples had with Jesus. And this last one we call the Great Commission because it is the one where he tells them what to do before he leaves. So, first of all, this is one of those texts that is rich for theological conversation. And I am talking to like deep down, oh my goodness, people care about that sort of conversation or the really broad picture sort of conversation and all these things that let me tell you I am here for. Like hardcore here for it. So let's even talk about that line where Jesus says, um, go therefore and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. What on earth does he mean by commanded you? Like we could spend a long time going through the gospels talking about what we think really matters. We could spend time just reading Matthew saying, wow, this is what Matthew thought mattered. So clearly this is what he was talking about when he wrote that. There are so, so many things that we could say with commanded you. I'm speaking and preaching in a non-creedal tradition, once where we don't use things like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed or the Westminster Confession. But each of those has their own sort of teaching exactly to answer this question, what was it that Jesus commanded you often to believe, but in some cases to do? Now, I could especially get on board with that conversation for the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed to be truth when you get to the Westminster Confession and the 33 chapters of it, which I would point out is longer than the New Testament, I might get a little bit bogged down. But like I said, this is theological conversation that I am here for. Or maybe we could dwell on this Trinity, Trinitarian formula, go therefore into all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's another one of the things that Jesus says. So we could talk for quite a while about the Trinity. Maybe you would tell me about your Sunday school lesson where someone pulled out an egg and said, well, you see, there's a shell and there's a yolk and there's a white and there are these three parts of the egg and they all have their own function, but they're all an egg. And this is a way we can talk about the Trinity and I would tell you, no, that is modalism. That is wrong according to classical doctrine. And I believe you should at least understand why it is wrong according to classical doctrine, even though I'm fine with you going for modalism in the long run. But again, I'm aware that that's a conversation that I might be the only one that's really, really invested in. Now, maybe you get more invested in a Trinitarian language this translation uses Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I have ideas about that and what we should use. I don't like the gendered language of Father and Son, but you can't change it to Creator instead of Father because creating is the work of the Trinity. It is not the work of the first person of the Trinity. It is the work of the entire person of the Trinity. Now, when I talk with kids, and especially when I don't know their families, I'll say, well, go ask your parent or check with your parental unit, or if I really don't know the kids, check with your adult. Because the truth is, 
that every kid, no matter kind of their circumstance, has some adult that has brought them to the place that I'm working with them, at least. But I don't think, you know, adult works well to convey what we intend with father. And so I'm stuck there, kind of like I'm stuck on son, where I'm not sure if child is appropriate because it seems like that might have an age specificity, but maybe it works. I'm pretty sure that everyone would say, well, once you're my child, you're my, always my child if they're a parent. So I don't know. Could we have parental unit, child, and Holy Spirit? Maybe. I don't know that it would work well in songs. And I don't know that anyone else cares about this, but just so we're on the topic, when we get to Holy Spirit, I really am a fan of saying Holy Ghost instead. And most of you have probably never heard me say Holy Ghost because we just don't use it. It's only used in older translations at this point, and it's rooted in this idea of ghosts as guests. Not something that's spooky, for sure, Definitely not something that spins plates around in the air, but a welcomed guest. Guest. And the reason that I actually like Holy Ghost is the fact that I think even for us, when we talk about ghosts that most of us don't believe in, we also are aware of the idea of ghosts as nuisance. The ghosts that are kind of friendly, kind of mischievous, that do little things to let us know where they're there, but don't scare us, for example. And so when I think of the third person of the Trinity and its interaction in our lives, then I actually think something that is a nuisance, like a ghost, is a very good descriptor. Because the truth is, whenever that critter comes around, then everything could go up in smoke. Those are the stories we tell of the third person of the Trinity. When I say smoke, I might actually mean fire, because let's be clear, the spirit doesn't really stop with smoke. Again, all of these rich theological conversations in this great commission, and I am so, so here for them. And I kind of skipped over that whole baptize them. And in the Christian tradition, there are a lot of questions when we say baptize. Must there be water? If so, how much? Is pouring okay? Is sprinkling okay? Must there be enough for immersion? Does there need to be oil in order for it to um, be a baptism? What about the age of the person baptized? Who can baptize? What constitutes emergency baptism? Like There is so much there, and I have only barely grazed the surface on any of it. I like hardcore love those conversations. And I am so on board with having that in depth. And I am aware that that puts me in a pretty small minority. I'm aware that even with my colleagues, they kind of roll their eyes occasionally. And as much as that conversation gives me energy, gets me excited, gets me talking about things, the truth is, when I go through that question of what has God commanded you? What about the Trinity? What about baptism? None of those conversations feel like good news right now. 
There might be a season and a time when they do, but it's not right now. It's actually the last line of this great commission that feels like good news right now. After Jesus has said, do this, do this, do this, then he promises, I will be with you every day until the end of this present age. Jesus promises for certain that the disciples will not be left alone. That you will not be left alone, that we will not be left alone, that we are not alone. If you've read this text a lot, and you're probably used to hearing until the end of the age. It's a newer translation that adds the word present, so it becomes not just the end of the age, but the end of the present age. Now, I don't know exact translation choices. I could get there for sure. But I notice how much this switch to saying present age renews hope. Yeah, Jesus was there in a time and place. Jesus was saying to the people he's about to leave who have just witnessed catastrophic events, hey, I'll see you later, but I'm not really gone. But the end of the present age offers this sense of renewing hope. Not just that age back then, but this thing right now. And for every single person who read it, that was still true. I am with you until the end of the present age. I am with you. If you've heard me preach over longer spans of time, you've heard me ask, what's the plural of apocalypse? And the truth is there is one. We think of the apocalypse, not an apocalypse. And I said this before, but it's worth saying again, we need to learn to talk about apocalypses, about the fact that there are many ends to things. There have been many points in history that create a before and an after, and humanity came out on the other side. And if I ask you to write down a list of events that caused us to talk about the time before, you could probably do it. You could do it without reaching too far back, and you could do it reaching way, way, way back into human history. Because there are many, many things that create an apocalypse when something is ended and something else is beginning. And so when we are in an apocalypse, it still matters that we realize this is one, not the one. So if you think, no, 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 there's one apocalypse, it's the end, here's a really, really quick litmus test. If you're over the age of, say, 25, then go and watch Home Alone. Go and watch Home Alone, and when the family misses the plane, you just need to watch that scene. Because if you don't believe there is a time before in your memory, watch how quickly that family ends up on a plane. They run through the airport, there's no security, they show their tickets, 
they are on the plane. Let me tell you, that is certainly a before for any of us who remember 2001. And so we come back to this promise of Jesus, I will be with you until the end of the present age. And we come to that with certainty of Jesus' presence even in a new crisis, not just the one that was past. And so we celebrate this good news that Jesus says, certainly, you are not alone. You are not alone ever, but especially in the difficult moments. That is good news for me right now, and I hope that is good news for you but that becomes then good news that we live in the world. This Great Commission makes plenty of people nervous because a lot of churches talk about when they talk about evangelism, since it is very clear, go. Go and do this. But for us, to hear this, I will be with you, and treat that as part of the commission, I think is a profound call to live out the gospel. As we sit so far apart, many of us are choosing presence. Presence with the loved ones in our homes, presence with the friends far away. And it feels a lot like doing nothing much of the time. We would love it if there were the thing that we could do to fix it and make it all better. We would love it if we could be physically present. But instead we send notes and cards and we make phone calls and we send text messages and emails we do drive-by birthday celebrations and drive-by graduation celebrations. We reach out to people that we probably wouldn't reach out to otherwise. I'm texting friends from high school, from college, from seminary most weeks. I didn't do that before this. Those of you with kids have been getting postcards at your home from me most weeks. Some weeks it's stickers. But you get these postcards, and I also have another pastor's daughter on my list. She lives in Wisconsin. I've never met her. I've never met her mom. But there's still this connection every single week. And there is this openness to reaching out because there's a sense we're all in this together. And also, we're most likely all home doing nothing. So we would welcome the sense, again, in a tangible way, that we're not alone. It is this chance to live out the gospel. Jesus promised you are not alone, and to say to friends and neighbors, no, you are not alone. Even if you are alone physically, you are not alone. So before the pandemic that was clearly linked to a virus, health professionals were talking about another epidemic. And they were talking about it not just in the US, but in Europe, in many places around the world. And that epidemic was loneliness. There were especially studies of elderly people and millennials. And around a third of both of those age groups experienced profound, lasting loneliness. 
And it was a loneliness that led to depression, a loneliness that led to depression that led to lower life expectancy. And it was seeming to grow and grow and grow. Mental health professionals, healthcare providers, all of these people were saying we're seeing this and we don't know quite how to fix it. And we know that even though we are connected more and there are more opportunities, we are also very much alone and lonely. And so when I hear this good news from Jesus, you are not alone, that calls us to speak again, you are not alone. It seems especially good news because we did not need a pandemic in order for it to be good news. You are not alone. This deep, deep good news before this and during this and surely will be after this. It becomes good news from Jesus and good news from us. And that is a commission that I can hold on to from this great commission. You are not alone. Go into all the world as bearers of this good news.